I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And um, this morning I want to complete my series entitled, What's the Big Deal? And man, we've been, we've been talking about some really important things. I remember when God said to me, I want you to preach these messages. And I remember when God said, you know, there's a lot of things that are a big deal to me that are no longer a big deal to the church, that are no longer a big deal to our society. I remember when the Lord said to me, I want you to preach on marriage because marriage is such a big deal to me. And I remember when the Lord said, I want you to preach about sex because sex is a big deal to the world. And, and I created it in such a way so that people can, can enjoy intimacy with one another. But they have defiled it in such a way. And I want you to reclaim and recapture the beauty of sex within marriage. And I remember when God said to me that dads are a really important deal and dads are important to, to the church, and dads are important to their family and to this world, this community around us, and society in itself. And I remember when God said, I want you to tell people that money is a big deal to them, and, and I created money in the sense that I use money for my kingdom to build my kingdom, and that if people would begin to release their money into the hands of the kingdom of God, we could do great things. And I remember when God said, tell the people that their work matters to me, that every day when they get up in the morning and they go to work that the Holy Spirit should all it ought to be in their lives in such a way that people would say I don't know there's something different about you and 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 I want to know the reason why you have hope I want to know that even when you're going through difficult times why is it that you still have a sense of hope inside of you and I and I hope to to God that you have you have really shown the light of Christ this week. And I, I pray to God that, that your work would not be a burden to you any longer, but that you would see your work as, as a means by which God has blessed you to place you in a certain place to be a, a, a shining light to the world. And today I want to talk to you about the last thing. And I, it's not the last thing because it's the least important thing, but it's actually the most important thing of all. And I want to wrap up the whole series with the understanding of being intimate with God. You see, I, I believe there's a lot of things that are a big deal to God, but I want you to know the biggest deal of all, God said to me this week, tell my people the biggest deal of all is they are a big deal to me. You are a big deal to God. I mean, you are a big, big deal to God. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're still the funniest looking person I've ever seen in my life, but you're a big deal to God. And I want you to notice Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. If someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless, but whatever was to my gain, to me, I now consider for the sake of Christ a loss. He said, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's powerful. Paul the apostle says, everything that I've ever attained to, everything that I have, 
Every title means nothing compared to one thing, intimacy with God, really knowing God. Paul tells us all of his work, all of his studying, all of the knowledge, all the achievements, all of the things that, that seem to be important to him at one time are worthless compared to one thing, knowing God. He said, if someone else thinks that they should boast in any reason, he said, I have more of a reason to boast. He said, I have a good reason to boast in the flesh. Why? Because in my former life, I was a Jew. Now, he still was a Jew, but, but in his former life, he was a, a Pharisee. He was, uh, he, he was taught by the best of the best rabbis. And, and, and he says, according to the law, I was faultless. But all that I've ever accomplished can never be matched with having an intimate relationship with God. He said, now my goal in life, my whole objective in life is to simply know God, namely in Christ. He said, every program, every achievement Everything else means nothing compared to having an intimate relationship, being a friend of God, loving God with all my heart is a really big deal, Paul said. Everything else was a byproduct of my relationship with God. Everything in my life should be an outworking, all of the fruit that I produce in my life. As Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you cannot produce any fruit. So Paul says, whatever fruit that I have uh, born, whatever fruit that you can see in my life should be an outworking of my intimate friendship and connection with Jesus. Jesus Christ. And here's the truth. The truth is you and I, we can be in church. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to point to you today. I want to look at myself. I can be in church. I can be involved in so many things in the church. I can even spend time praying every day and yet not really know Christ. I can know about Christ. I can, I can read about Christ. I can learn about Christ. I can talk about Christ. I can preach about Christ. And yet there, there are going to be some people when they get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. In fact, you can even operate in the supernatural and not know Christ. He said, there's going to be some that said, didn't we even cast out demons in your name? And he said, no, depart from me. I don't even know you. In fact, Jesus, in his love for the church at Ephesus, he says, man, you're doing all the right things. Yet I have one thing against you. You have lost your first love. You have lost your intimacy with Christ. You have lost your intimacy with me. He said, remember how far you have fallen, that you have doing all of these great things, and it looks good on the outside. And people, man, they applaud you because you preach great sermons, and you teach great classes, and you, and you do all all these great things, but you have departed from an intimate relationship with me. Paul goes on to say, I love what he says. He says, not that I have already attained to this. This, what is this? He says, all these things. I want to know God, he said. He said, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship of 
his suffering. Could you imagine Paul the Apostle said, I actually want to enter in the suffering. How many of you like to suffer in this room? Let me see your hands. I'll, I'll get you a doctor right after. We'll, 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 we'll set you up immediately. Nobody likes to suffer. Nobody likes to go through fire. Nobody likes to go through pain in his life. But Paul said, if I've got to go through the fire, if I've got to go through the pain in my life, if I've got to suffer so that I can know Christ better, then bring it on because all I want in my life is to know Christ better. Wow. Could you imagine getting to the point in your life where you would actually say, I embrace suffering in my life because it makes me get closer to God. Wow. I don't know about you, but when I hear pain, I run, the, I run the other way. I don't want pain in my life. I don't want trials in my life. I don't want difficulty in my life. I want smooth sailing. But there's just something about smooth sailing that kind of makes us believe. It, 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 it deceives us into thinking that we're okay, that everything's okay with our heart, that everything's okay in our life. You see, intimacy, it begins with a deep desire in our heart to know Christ. What is this this that he talks about? He said, he said but, the, but I haven't already attained to this. But one thing I do, I, I forget what is behind it, I press on. What is the this? I believe it's the intimacy of God. I mean, he tells us what it is. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his servant. Not that I have already obtained this. In other words, I can go deeper. I can know him greater. He said, I, I, I want to know. I want Jesus to be my best friend. I want him to be the most important thing in my life. I want God to come first in my life. I want him to be number one. In fact, the Bible has a few men and women that, that exemplify this, that you just read about them and you just know there's something distinctively different about these men and women of God. Like, like David who said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Where can I find you, Lord? Where can I meet with you? One thing I ask, oh God, this one thing I seek that I may see you and, and gaze upon your beauty, Lord, and dwell in your temple, in your tabernacle all the days of my life that I might walk with you and know you in this deep way. Moses, he would, he would pitch his tent outside of, 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 of the camp and the Bible said he'd, he'd seek the Lord all, all night long at times and, and he'd seek the face of God. And the Bible says as a, as a, as a friend talks to his friends so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face and then Joshua he would run into the tent because there was such an anointing there was such a presence of God in that tent that Joshua would stay after Moses left why because he just wanted a little bit of what Moses had he could see the presence of God he could see that Moses was a man of God who loved God and he was a friend of God Esther she loved God she was willing to risk her life for the very for the very presence of God in her life. Enoch, he walked with God, the Bible says, and he was no more. Could you imagine that? Enoch walked with God and he, he was no more. God, God became such a friend with Enoch. He said, Enoch, listen, this world is not worthy of you any longer. I'm just going to take you home so you can be with me face to face every day. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I suppose that God, you know, as much as it's hard for us to lose the people we love, but I suppose some people go on to be with the Lord because the Lord said, enough of this being separated, you know, from, from it, it come into my very presence, hallelujah. And he calls them home, hallelujah. I want to be one of those people where God says, man, 
you know what? You've been on this earth for uh, how many years you've been on this earth, and that's wonderful, but come home now, son. I want you to be in my very presence. Hallelujah. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if we love God so much that we would not even fear death itself, but we would say, thank you, Lord, that you're bringing me home. It's time for me to come home now. Hallelujah. Just, just a powerful thought for us to understand. And you know, the truth is, knowing God should drive us into our prayer closet. Wanting to know God should drive us into the pages of the book that reveals his heart. Wanting to know God should drive us to set aside time every day to seek his face. Knowing him and wanting to know him in a deeper way should drive us to put aside the things that threaten to keep us out of his very presence. Knowing God and wanting to know God is and should be the passion of our life. And the truth is, sometimes, I want to be honest with you in this room, sometimes I seek God out of desperation. I need him to deliver me. I need him to heal me. I need him to provide for me. I need him to bring comfort in my life. Sometimes I seek God out of desire. Sometimes there's a desire in my heart and I need to get alone with God because I desire him. I, I feel him. I am compelled to be with him. I, I feel loved by him. I, I feel his presence. I know he's with me. Sometimes it's not about feelings. It's simply about discipline. I, I am disciplined and I, I discipline myself and there are times when I don't feel the presence. Most of the time I don't feel the physical presence of God but I discipline myself and sometimes I do it just out of determination. Sometimes I just do it because, Lord, I'm determined once again, Lord, to feel your presence again, Lord, to see you, Lord, work in my life, Lord. And I'm determined, as the Bible says, that if I seek and I keep on seeking and I ask and I keep on asking and I knock and I keep on knocking, the door of heaven will be open and God, once again, you'll come and you'll touch me again because I need you. Hallelujah. Praise God. And God said, you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart. He said, you will find me when you seek me. There's just something. I, you, can't, you, you, you can't get away with just kind of half-hearted seeking God. It just doesn't work with God. God, he wants all of you or none of you. You can't be lukewarm. He wants all of you. He wants your heart. He wants all of your heart. He doesn't want just the room in your heart. He wants all of your heart. He wants all of your passion. He wants all of your life. He wants to know that he's number one in your life. Not because he's an egotistical maniac, but because he knows that the only way that you can actually be touched by him and experience him is when you wholly give yourself and surrender yourself to him. And the truth is sometimes my heart grows cold. And indifferent in the very presence of God. And that's when I need to say, God, give me a desire again to seek you. Lord, soften my heart and change my heart. I remember when I was 19 years old and I gave my heart to Jesus. And, uh, hey, Wayne, we used to go hang out at your pop's church, a little church in Oceanside. They were building a bigger church, but they had that little room in the back on Friday nights. And, man, I just couldn't get enough of Jesus. You know, I just had to go even to another church to get a little bit more because there was nothing going on on Friday until we started something on Friday. And um, I, just, I just wanted more of God. And I remember having a poster 
in my room and it said, return back to your first love. And every once in a while, my heart started to get cold and indifferent. I look at that sign and I say, okay, I need to go back into the prayer closet, Lord. And I'm not coming out, Lord Jesus, until you touch my heart and soften it again, Lord, and do something in my life to give me a, a desire once again. Change my heart, soften it again, God, because it's growing hard. And I suppose that there are some, there are some enemies of intimacy with God. I, I, I think that there's, listen to me, listen to me. I was telling somebody last night that there's going to be more religious people in hell than atheists. There's just going to be a little section for atheists. And then there's going to be a whole big section for religious people in hell. People that thought they were right because their heart was so hard and they couldn't see that they were wrong. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. But I suppose that there are some enemies of intimacy. That the enemy wants to keep you religious but not have you really walk with the Lord. Really know the Lord. And so I, I want to, this morning, I want to give you some enemies of of intimacy with God. The first one is a false understanding of the nature and character of God. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. There it is. He said, I want you, I want you to have the spirit of revelation and knowledge. He said, I keep on praying that your eyes would be open, that you might understand who God really is, not what your parents told you about God, not what even your pastor told you about God. I hope to God that I, that I hit it on all cylinders, and I hope to God that I'm teaching you the truth about God. But, you know, I want you just to know this one thing about me. I'm in balance. You're all, we're all in balance in this room. And so there's a part of me that goes to this part of God, and that's why it's really important that you don't listen to one person all the time, just the same person, read the same material from the same person. Why? Because I'm going to tell you something. We're all imbalanced. And some of us, we like the grace God, you know, the grace, the super, super grace God. Some of us, we like the hell and brimstone God, you know, and we like the legal, you know, and all, and, and you're going to get all kind. you know, you need a balance of God. And I remember growing up, I, I was born into an Italian Pentecostal church. They actually spoke just, they just spoke in, in, in Italian. And, um, and it was very legalistic. I want to be honest with you. It was very legalistic. You know, you, the women had to wear long dresses, and they, they couldn't wear any makeup. And I used to think to myself, that woman, she, she, she could use a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. You know, and, and it was all based on do's and don'ts. If you did this, you were okay. If you didn't do this, you were okay. You know, and, and it was really just a, a lot of legalism. Now, I'm not trying to fault anybody, and I think there was a reason for that. Because so many of our, my, my, my relatives, so many of my aunts and uncles and, and those that came out of religiosity, they came out of a, a religion. That's all it was, a religion. They'd go to church on Sunday morning. They'd hear a 45-minute, you know, service, mass, whatever it is, and, and they had no relationship. And so, so because of that, they, they swung really to the, to the other side, and, and everything was like, you know, I love Jesus so much, and I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing everything that I need to do. I, I want to do it right because I don't, wanna, I don't want Jesus to be upset with me. I don't want God to be angry at me. You know, and I had an Italian aunt, God bless her heart, 
she, she, you know, I, I love her to death. But she used to always say to me, she used to say, Stevie, God is watching you wherever you go. I thought God was this big eyeball just watching me everywhere I went, you know. And, and, and God is going to punish you if you do something wrong. And so I was always afraid of God. So I had this understanding that, that you know, I had to walk a certain road and I had to be, you know, the narrow road. And yeah, it is narrow, but there is grace from God and, and there's an intimate relationship with Jesus and Jesus is the vine and I'm the branches and if I abide in him I'm going to be victorious in my life I didn't hear about that all I heard about is be right be right be straight yeah I went straight out of the church I don't want any of that and I did I had no idea what it was to be intimate with Jesus none I was just afraid that I was going to die and go to hell so I got saved every Sunday morning. By Monday, I was back, you know, staying alive. <laughs> Saturday night at the clubs and then getting stricken with conviction. You know why? It wasn't the voice of the Holy Spirit. It was the voice of my aunt. Now, Stevie, God is watching you. You're going to get a punish. Oh, I ran back to church again. Oh, Jesus, please. Oh, God, I don't want, I don't want to go to hell, Lord Jesus. You know, and, then, and the preacher would preach always about the, the coming of the Lord. We need to preach about that. We do, we do. But he'd preach always about the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church. And we'd watch this movie, A Thief in the Night. I wish we'd all been ready. And I was like, I'm not ready. And I'd get saved every Sunday, backslide by Monday, get re-saved again on Sunday. That's not a relationship with God. That's fear. Now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, I get that, but I never got past the fear. <laughs> Just fear, fear, fear. And there was no real intimacy with God. You see, when you really see God for who he is. Man, and, and so I was 19 years old, and, and, and I was afraid. I, I had a, a, a car accident. You've heard it a million times. And I came back to the Lord out of fear. I was afraid, man, it was just way too close, man. This time, you know, I was, I was way, way too close to hell. And I was being rushed to the hospital, and on the way to the hospital, I said, please, God, give me a second chance. That's all I knew. But, man, then I started reading the Bible for myself. I started learning about God for myself. I started reading about the love of Jesus and the power of the Spirit of God to make me more like him. And the Holy Spirit began to touch my life and the religious, the religious spirit and the legalism just kind of dropped off. And I went from fear to loving God, wanting to know God, wanting to know the power of his resurrection, even the fellowship of his suffering because I get to know him better even in my suffering. Number two, I think the second enemy of intimacy with God is disappointment. We all get disappointed. We all are disappointed in life. Life is not fair. If you're waiting for your life to be fair, it ain't going to happen. Life is not fair. We live in a broken world. We live in a dysfunctional world. We live in a world where the Bible tells us because of sin, death is passed on to all men. People die young. It's not fair. Children are abused. It's not fair. Husbands and wives leave each other. It's not fair. Things happen in this world that are just not fair. 
And Jesus said, in this world, you will have many trials and tribulations. You know what? And I, I believe part of the reason why this world is the way it is, obviously because of sin. But God doesn't want to repair the whole thing and make it an, a, a utopia. Why? Because then we wouldn't want to go to heaven. But I'm looking for a new place, hallelujah. I'm looking for a place where God says he will wipe away every tear, take away every sorrow. I don't want to get too comfortable on this earth, hallelujah. I'm thankful every day I wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, for my beautiful wife. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you for this incredible church. Thank you for the car that I drive and the house that I live in, the food that I eat. Thank you for your grace every day. I'm thankful for all of those things, but I don't ever want to get so comfortable that I want to stay here. I want to go where Jesus says, come on. So I want to see him face to face. But sometimes we get disappointed in life. It just, things happen and it draws us, it pulls us away from the Lord. You know, I think of Mary and Martha. Look at the, the way that they actually responded to disappointment in their life. Martha ran to Jesus. Where was Mary? She stayed home. Everybody responds a little differently. And I suppose that Mary was a little ticked at Jesus. She had to work through that. And we know she did. She was the one that was at the cross when Jesus was dying. But you know, sometimes when we get so disappointed, we draw away from God. We can't understand why would he allow something like that to happen in our life. And I'm not here to talk to you about the whys of why we suffer. I'm just here to tell you that if you're in a place of disappointment in your life, that's a dangerous place when you start pulling away from the mercy and grace of God. Just understand, life isn't fair, but God is at work in every situation, and God uses everything for your good and for his glory. That's it. That's it. But I know, I, you know, Job is an amazing, Job is an amazing book. It's the oldest book that's ever been written in the Bible. And Job is a, a story of a man who did it right. He got it all right. He was praying every day for his children. He was, he was making sacrifices for his children. He said, because maybe they might do something stupid and they might be judged for it. Job was doing all kinds of things that were right. The Bible says there was no man on the face of the earth like Job. And yet Job had to go through such a difficult time in his life. And notice how he responds versus how his wife responds. His wife said, I had enough of this God stuff. Have you ever gotten to the point in your life where you said, I had enough of this God stuff? Come on, let's be honest. God, you can't hear me. There have been times in my life I say, God, why can't you hear me? Lord, I keep on crying out to you, God. Lord, I believed you, God, for this miracle in my life, and it didn't come to pass. Lord, I prayed for this, God, no matter what it is. And sometimes we'll get to that point in our life when we say, I had enough of this God stuff. Lord, God, I believe for something, and it didn't happen, or whatever it is in our life, and we get disappointed. And notice what Job's wife said. Job, curse God and die. But Job says, woman, I love this. I like this. I've used it on my wife every once in a while. No, I'm just kidding. Woman, you talk like a fool. Naked I came into this world. Naked I will leave this world. One thing I will do, I will keep on praising the Lord. Hey, listen to me. When you're going through a difficult time in your life, when you're going through a difficult time, a difficult situation, keep on praising the Lord. Praise your way through. Hallelujah. No, you praise your way through. Hallelujah. To the other side. Why? Because I'm going to tell you this one thing. You might be disappointed right now, but God is going to complete the work he began inside of you, and you're going over to the other side. 
aside. Hallelujah. Morning is coming. There might be a difficult time. There might be discouragement in the middle of the evening. But I want you to know morning is coming. His mercies are new every day in your life. Glory to God. Something new is coming in your life. We talked about it, but a little bit more religion. It's different than legalism. Religion is a little bit more deceptive. Religion, becoming religious, can become a, an enemy of intimacy with God. Because when it comes to religion, we just honestly, we, we have a set of things that we do that creates for us a religion. The Pharisees were religious. They got it right. I'm not talking about so much legalism. Legalism is kind of a fear. Religion is more like you got it right. Got it right. I got this down. I don't know about you, but I like to get things right. So I work really hard until I get something right. So now I got it down now. Mm -mm. I got my Bible reading down every day. I'm going to read. I got my prayer time down every day. I'm going to pray. Funny thing is when I pray, I find myself, I catch myself looking at my watch like, okay, God, I gave you half an hour. <laughs> I did my duty, right? I did my religious acts of righteousness. Notice what Jesus says about the Pharisees. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. And the truth is sometimes I could be doing all the right things, but my heart is not connected to what I'm doing. How many of you in this room have just become religious? It's almost you're on autopilot. You get up in the morning, every Sunday morning. It's a part of your religious duty. You put your Sunday clothes on. You come to church. You sing a couple of songs. You hear a sermon. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel better. You did it. You got that in. Now you could go watch the Yankees beat anybody in the world. Because you did it. How about busyness? Just busyness. We all know the story of Mary and Martha. That Martha was busy. She was just so busy. She was so busy thinking that that's what the Lord wanted her to do. You know, sometimes we need to stop and we need to reassess whether or not God really wants us to do it. You know, as a pastor, sometimes I get upset when people come to my office and they say, Pastor, I, I can't help you with that ministry any longer. And it bothers me. It's like, what are you talking about? You're committed to this thing till the day you die. You said you would do this. We got this figured out. And they're like, no, Pastor, I've just gotten so busy. I've gotten so busy in my lifetime. That something's missing in my life. Intimacy with God's missing in my life. And my first response is always, well, then go pray more and then come back and figure out how you're going to still help me in ministry. But, I, you know, after I, 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 I leave that emotional moment, I go into my prayer closet. The Lord reminds me that's a good thing. It's a good thing. When we reassess, sometimes we're just so afraid of what other people are going to think about us. We're afraid of what the pastor is going to think about us if we pull away for a little while. We say, you know what, I just really need some time to get my relationship right with God. I'd rather you tell me that than you keep on going the way you're going, burning yourself out, 
getting so angry at the church, angry at God that you walk away because you've been so busy in ministry. And then there's the distractions of life. I, I actually kind of finished my sermon and yesterday afternoon I had to go back and just jot a couple of more thoughts down for me to remember why. Because I think one of the biggest things Americans deal with is just distractions. Come on now, we all know it. I don't have to preach too long. I don't have to stay too long on this one. But we are so incredibly distracted as Americans. You know, I suppose that you go to different countries around the world. And I mean, I've been there. I've, I've been to so many different countries. And by the way, pray for the young adults there right now leaving to, to go to Guatemala. Pray for the meet. He's leading that team of 19 young people. Would you pray this week? Would you remember to pray for them? They're in Guatemala going on a mission trip. I'm so proud of them. Young adults, just an incredible thing. But I've been to other places. I've been to Cuba. We've been to Cuba. My brother, you're going to Cuba. When are you coming? Come on, come over here. Come over here. When are you going to Cuba? Man, I like that Guadavera. When you grow out of it, give it to me, brother. <laughs> he's, going to, he's going to Cuba on Friday to preach at a youth conference. We preached together two years ago at a youth conference. They liked him better, so they asked him to come back. And he, he, he's going to be preaching in Cuba. And when you go to Cuba, there's such a power. There's a fire there, right? I mean, just those people, those young people on fire. You feel, you could, you could cut it like a knife, you know, the presence of the Lord, the dedication they have to the Lord. And, and man, I mean, Cuba is on fire for God in so many regions of Cuba. And how much do they make a, a, a month, do you know? $20. $20 a month. And they don't have a whole lot of stuff to compete. In fact, they don't have the cell phone stuff and they're on the cell phone. They're not allowed. No, they're just, they're so, so, you know, they, they're, they're, there's a, like a 96% literacy rate there. Everybody reads in Cuba. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Cuba has a better literacy rate than the United States. Can you imagine that? Why? Because our kids... Come on. I'm just being honest with you. They, we just got too much stuff, you know, and, and, and we're so distracted by so much stuff. I know I am. I know, I know that if I don't get up early in the morning, and come here, where are you going? Where are you going? We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you right now. I want you to extend your hand towards this brother because he's going to Cuba to preach. Father, bless him today, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray. God, that you would bless Pastor Carlos, Lord. We pray, oh God, that you would use him in a great way in Cuba, Lord. God, I pray that you would speak through him in such an incredible way, Father God. Let the anointing of the Lord be upon him as he preaches to these young people, Lord. God, I pray that he would instill in these young people, Father, a sense that, the Lord, that the Holy Spirit's living inside of them, that they would be encouraged, Lord, in the word, encouraged, Lord, in prayer. And God, I pray, Lord God, that we would learn from the Cubans what it is, Lord God, to be on fire for God, Lord Jesus. Lord, let him come back, Lord, with a fire, God, in his bones, Lord. Bless him, Lord. Bless his family, Lord, and use him in a great way in Cuba. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And help him, Lord God, to get me a Guadavera and bring it home for me. The same one he's wearing right now. No, I'm just... Why we're so distracted with so many things that it keeps us from the very presence of God. What, what are you distracted with? Come on, start to think about it. I want you to go home. I want you to think about it.
fact, so many of you got one of these books. I want you to get one. Everybody, get one of these books. We ran out. I mean, we had hundreds of them. We ran out of these. This is a prayer journal so that when we start on July the 22nd, we'll all be on the same page and you'll be able to read one verse a day and journal about it. It's powerful. And the first thing you need to recognize and the first thing you need to ask the Lord is, Lord, show me where are the distractions in my life. What's distracting me from your presence? It, it could be too much entertainment. We love to be entertained. How many of you love to be entertained? I like to be entertained. I like to be entertained. And some of us, I want, you know, I, I know that then now I'm going to meddle a little bit and we're going to, you know, we're going to get into this whole thing and make you feel guilty a little bit. But the truth of the matter is some of us, we watch so much TV. We watch so many movies. We could sit down and watch a movie after movie after movie. And then when it comes to prayer, oh, I'm just too tired. I'm too busy. No, you're not. You're not too busy. You're too distracted. And you're using every excuse in the book. Oh, I work too much. No, 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 no. You have time to pray. See, you listen, we, we do what we value and we value what we do. That's the bottom line. So it's not a matter of you have too many things. Your heart is distracted. And you need to ask the Lord to undistract your heart by giving you a love and a passion for his presence more than a love and a passion for watching movies. Listen, DVR it. The Godfather is going to be on today. He's going to be on tomorrow. He's going to be on the next day. He's going to be every time you turn on the TV, Rocky and the Godfather. You're never going to miss it. Don't worry about it. Not that you watch it anyway. But distractions keep us from the presence of God. Notice what, what Paul says. But whatever was to my gain, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage compared to knowing God, that I may gain Christ. I mean, that's where we have to get in our life. That's the truth. It's, it's okay. It's okay to be entertained. But compared to knowing Christ, it's garbage. That's, that's how we got to get in our life. That's the point. It's not legalism. It's, it's who has your heart. And if God really has your heart, then everything else in life, even the Yankees, are garbage compared to the very presence of Jesus. That was hard for me to say. <laughs> but that's the problem. You see, we, we fall in love with things in our life. And they grab a hold of our hearts and they become more interesting than Jesus himself in our life. And that's when we need to pray, God, give me a passion and a desire for you again. You see, the truth is, it is the Lord who, who works within us and he wills within us to do his good pleasure. So if you have these desires in your heart and you know they're wrong, bring them to the foot of the cross. Bring them to God this morning and say, God, these have become my idols in my life. These distractions in my life have become my gods in my life, God. And I lay it back at your feet. Oh, yes, Lord, I lay them down to you, Lord God. And I say, Lord, take them from me. Take them from my heart, God, so that I can, I, yes, I can enjoy some things, but they don't have my heart. And I think one of the biggest enemies of intimacy with God is, is guilt and condemnation. I can't tell you how many people I speak to on a weekly basis who come into my office. And the truth of the matter is, is they want to love God with all their heart. 
They want to be close to God, but they wrestle so much with their past. They wrestle so much with the decisions that they made in their past that they know, I know, God knows, everyone knows that were wrong. People that come into my office that had an abortion. People that come into my office that got divorced and they knew that they were out of the will of God. People that were sleeping with people. All kinds of people that got involved in drugs and, I, and all these things. And I'm not here in any way to judge you or condemn you. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you something. I'm just a sinner just like every one of you in this room. And to, the, and to, and, and to God, all sin is the same. Yes, they have different consequences, but it's all sin. And I want you to know today that some of you, you will not come close to God. You will come to church every Sunday morning. You'll listen to sermons. But when you get into your prayer closet, you feel like there's a wall there. And you can't even get really, really into intimate with God. Why? Because there's a, there's a condemnation, there's a guilt over something that you did in the past. And I want you to know today you need to be set free from that guilt and condemnation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. God has taken your sin. He's thrown it in the sea of forgetfulness, never to remember it again as far as the east is from the west. So he's removed your sin. I want you to know today that you stand complete and clean in the presence of God. You can come near to God. You can come near to Christ, hallelujah, because of what Christ did on the cross for you, glory to God. That's why Paul the Apostle said, not that I have already obtained this or already been made perfect or arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Notice Christ took hold of us first. While we were yet sinners, Christ took hold of us first. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, I forget what is behind. For some of you, it's time to forget what's behind. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it in the sea of forgetfulness, never to remember it again. Why? Because the truth is, you develop a deeper intimacy with Christ when you realize that your intimacy with God is found exclusively and absolutely in Christ. It's, it's not found in your legalistic religious attempts to be perfect or, or get it right today or tomorrow. Listen to me. You're never going to get it right on your own. Never. So all of the intimacy that you will ever have with God, listen to me, is wrapped up completely in Christ. It's wrapped up completely in the finished work of the cross. That's it. Your intimacy with God is dependent on your position in Christ. That's it. And therefore, even when you are imperfect and when you don't get it right, you are still positionally in Christ Jesus. And as long as you're positionally in Christ Jesus, you are intimate with God. You can't stop being intimate with God. You are connected to God. You're married to God. You have been buried with him in baptism, raised with him to new life. No matter what's going on in your life, if you are in Christ Jesus, God has become intimate with you because you've been reconciled by the Father. As the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, we have peace with God through him that's why 
Paul said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may be made. Listen, what he says, that I may gain Christ and, listen to me, be, be, write this down, found in him. Wow. That's the key. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. What does it mean to be found in him? It means I find all of my righteousness in Christ. I find all of the good works in Christ. We are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works. I find all my joy. I find all my peace, all my strength, all my wisdom, all my identity is wrapped up in Christ. And if I am in Christ, I am intimate with God. Come on, somebody. So my standing of intimacy with Christ is based on understanding that I'm found in him. My intimacy with the Father is based on being in Christ. Listen to me. The greatest enemy of intimacy is guilt and condemnation. But Jesus said, while we were yet sinners, Christ reconciled us to God. Number three, and lastly, intimacy with God is really a trust issue. It really is. And you could start playing because if you start playing, it gives them hope that I'm finishing. It's coming. I'm landing this plane, baby. Here it comes. Oh, you feel it? Oh, there's the anointing. There, there it is. But my, my intimacy with God is based on trust. The Holy Spirit showed me this week that the only way that I can be intimate with someone, whoever it is, whether it's my wife, whether it's a business partner, pastor, another pastor, whoever it is. And when I say intimate, I'm talking about being transparent. The word intimacy means to be transparent, to be real, to be real. And that's the problem with the church today. We've got a lot of phony people that are not real. How are you doing? Fine. Great. Everything's wonderful. Your whole life's falling apart. Oh, praise the Lord. Blessed and highly favored. Do me a favor. Be honest. But intimacy is about honesty. Intimacy is about transparency. Inst intimacy is about being vulnerable. It's about knowing truly. I want to know Christ. I want to know his heart. I want to know how he feels. I want to hear his voice. I want to spend time with him. I want to be open. You know, I want to tell you something that's been so liberating to me. I don't know why it took me so long to learn this. But I actually talk to Jesus like I'm talking to a counselor. I've learned this over recently. I've learned that I need to tell Jesus with my lips what I'm struggling with. Like I used to down here, like I used to be like, oh, God. Forgive me, but I never say it out loud, you know, because I'd be like, I'm afraid the devil's going to hear what I'm struggling with. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and now I just tell him, God, I'm struggling with this situation. I, sometimes I'm embarrassed. Nobody's around but me, but I hear it in my, I hear myself saying it. Lord, I'm struggling with pride or insecurity or, or lust or whatever it is, God. Lord, 
Lord, I'm struggling with this situation with this person. And I tell him, I tell him the whole thing. It's like he's sitting there. He's my counselor. I'm like, what? and if anybody walked into the room, they're like, this guy's crazy. But that's what intimacy is about, is being vulnerable enough to, to really, really tell somebody what's really going on in your life. And what I've found is that we can never be intimate with God until we resolve the trust issue with God. And some of us, we have a real trust issue with God. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we've been hurt. Some of us have been abused as children. We've been hurt, sexually abused, physically abused, and now it's so hard to open our heart to anyone, even God, so we have a wall there, and we can't get really close. Some of us have been so disappointed by God or by life itself that we just don't have this trust anymore for God. Come on, let's be honest here today. We want to trust, but we don't know how. And, 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 I, and I, I look at David's life, and I think David is such an incredible, he's such an incredible on this man of God who helps us to understand certain things. And here's what happens. He says, David is a man after God's own heart. Listen to me. And David went through a whole lot of stuff. First, he goes through this incredible sinful situation in his life, and he's not confessing it to God, and the hand of the Lord's heavy on David, and he He's not confessing to God. You know, listen, if you hold on to unconfessed sin, it'll drive you further away from the Lord. And the Bible says that, that David felt so distant from God and the hand of the Lord was so heavy on him until he confessed his sin. And now David gets it right and the Bible tells us that now David, things are okay. And now David's son Absalom wants the kingdom. And so now David's son Absalom wants to kill David. David's on the run. Disappointment in life. Listen. And Absalom is trying to kill David. And David now is once again a broken man. His heart has been broken by his own son. And now David feels abandoned by God. Listen to me. And he cries out to God. Listen to what he says to God. So honest with God. So honest. Listen to me. So honest with God. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever, God? Have you ever felt like God forgot you? And you cry out to God, say, Lord, how long? How long will you not hear my prayer, oh God? Listen when he says, how long will you forget me, Lord, forever? How long will you hide your face from me, oh God? Have you ever felt like God was hiding his face from you? And you cry out to God, God, where are you? God, when can I feel you again? David cries out, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day? And have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemies triumph over me? How long will I have to wrestle with the doubts that are in my heart about how much you love me, God? Because when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, when you're going through a, a difficult time, you start to question everything. I've done it. I've questioned God. I've questioned, God, where are you? Why are you not hearing me, God? And David says, look unto me, Lord, and answer me, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, Lord God. The depression will overwhelm me so much, God. And there's somebody in this room, you're so depressed today that you can't feel the presence of Almighty God, but I want you to know that he loves you with an everlasting love. And I want you to know that Jesus himself, he had actually displayed 
the incredible intimacy that he wants to have with you. When he came down from heaven and he died on the cross, he became vulnerable. He became transparent. He became open. And he died on the cross for you so that you might know how much he loves you for God. So love the world. Behold, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God through what Christ did on the cross. He became vulnerable for you. Because he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And notice what happens in David's prayer. David goes from totally feeling abandoned by God. Notice what he says. Listen to me. Listen. And here's what David says. But Lord, verse 5, I will trust in your unfailing love. Something happens while David's crying out to the Lord. He said, oh, God, when are you going to hear me? Lord, every day of my life, I feel like you've abandoned me. But, Lord, verse 5, I love that. The fifth verse, 1 through 4. God, I feel abandoned. God, I feel rejected. God, I don't feel you. Verse 5, everything changes. His prayer changes. But, Lord, I will trust in your unfailing. I will trust in your unfailing, I will trust in you, Lord. I will trust that you want to be intimate with me. I will trust, oh God, in your unfailing love for me. As a result, David says, then I will sing and worship the Lord. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Something happens in David's life, in David's heart, as he changes from feeling distant from God to understanding God's love. He's never going to leave us. Never, ever going to leave us. I want you to bow your heads today, right now, in this room. I'm here to tell you that in the next couple of weeks, we're going to go into 40 days of prayer. And I'm praying for you that out of 40 days of prayer, you will become more intimate with Jesus. That you'll experience the intimacy with Christ that you've never experienced before, but it will happen only because you decide today to put your trust in his unfailing love. That no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what situation you're in right now, I just want you to know that God loves you, that Christ loves you. And that your intimacy must be based on the knowledge of this love that goes deeper than your pain, deeper than your disappointment, deeper than the distraction, deeper than your faults, deeper than your failures, deeper than anything in your life. And so here we are today at the end of this service. And the only thing we can do, our only response to, to a message like this is, oh God, Change my heart, God. God, touch my heart. Heal my heart, God. And bring me closer to you today. If that's you today, you say, Lord, I just want to have more intimacy with you. Lord, I want to know you and I want to trust you more. I want you to just stand to your feet right now. And just in surrender to God, just raise your hands towards the Lord right now. And just begin to feel and know his presence in your life. Come on, just stand to your feet. If that's you today, say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, Jesus. God, I want to know you better. I want to know you more, God. God, I want to be closer. 
Each and every moment of my life, Lord, I want to know you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Bring me closer. Draw me closer, Lord. Take me deeper, God, into a, a place, a relationship with you, Lord God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Father.